0: Hello, and welcome back to Talking Tom with certain husband. Here's my friend, Chabruta and Gordon. Our death today, Masakh Megillah, death, Yud kimmel page 13. So yesterday we read sort of these famous Gemara passages about Pashti. Today we're going to get to the famous ones about Esther. I'm going to start a little bit before, just because I think there's an interesting detail about Mordecai that they start with. Um, and again, they're really just sort of going line by line uh, through the through Megillah Esther and just explaining what these pasuk came in, and so they start with the pasuk Asherah Glam Yerushalayim, right? Mordechai who had been exiled from Yerushalayim, um, which is in Esther chapter two verse six. Amar um, Rava shagalami and Rava says this teaches us that Mordechai sort of went into exile with his own will, he wasn't forced, um, as other as other people were, um, and that's sort of the careful reading. Where you know it says Asher Hagla Mirushalayim, right? Who had been exiled, right? As opposed to it saying Asher Hayam Min hagola, who had been from the exile. So you know, it it just shows us sort of they're not just sort of things up, but just to sort of give some nice flourish or color uh, to the to the Megillah, but they're really reading very carefully uh, the words itself. And then it goes on to say, um, Omein et Hadassah. And he Mordechai right raised Hadassah, right? Hadassah, who's Esther. And this is, again, we're now we're in Paraphet of Megillat Esther. This is uh, verse 7. Kari le'i v'kari Esther. So the verse causes, calls her Hadassah and also calls right? And so the question is, what was her real name? Tanya, we learn in Avrisa, Rabbi Meir Esther Shema. Rabbi Meir says her name is Esther. Velamini Kreshma Hadassa. why was she called Hadassa? after the righteous people who are also called um who are called uh you know sad and so the Hebrew word for you know a myrtle is a hadas um and so she's called hadassa right and we know that there's a connection between like Hadassim and 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 hadassim, right and so where do we get this connection from is from a a verse in Zechariah, chapter 1, verse 8, which is describing Zechariah's vision um, as he was standing with Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And so it says that, you know, there was sort of this shekhinah, this some type of divine presence that was with the Hadassim. Um, and so many m- people interpret this to mean the Hadassim are actually tzaddikim. Now they give the opposite one. I'm Rabbi Yehuda, Omer Hadassah. Rabbi Yehuda says, no, her name is actually Hadassah, but i master. Why is she called Esther? Al taitam because she used to conceal the facts about her. Like she wouldn't reveal who she actually was. Right, if the pasuk says uh, this is in the same parak verse uh, twenty that she wouldn't say anything about her people. And now we have another approach. Rabbi Nachemyo mer Hadassa Shema. says her name was Hadassa. Why was she called Esther? Because the nations of the world used to call her after the moon, right? That's what East Tahir means. Um, and the idea being that Sahada uh, is moon in Aramaic. So Esther is similar to that word. And it's sort of supposed to be like some type of name of beauty. It's a way of saying how beautiful she was. Um, um, and I just think it's interesting because certainly... Uh, when we talk about the names, I think Esther is a much more popular name than Hadassah. Um, and we also still call it Megillah Esther. We don't really call it Megillah Hadassah. And also she's referred to as Esther in the Megillah. So having these two Tanayim who say that, no, she must have been really Hadassah was her real name. I just find to be interesting because she's really referred to as Esther throughout the Megillah. Um, then they're going to have another approach here. Ben-Azai Omer, Esther Lo, Aruka, Balokitsa haita. Bennika So Bennaasa says Esther wasn't tall or short. She was of average height, basically like a Hadassah, right? Um, which is sort of, I don't know, to me this was the most interesting one. Um, and uh, okay. Um, and so <laughs> um, and so therefore that's why she's called that. Um, and then finally we have Rabbi Yeshua Ben Karcha says, Esther year, year year so this is a very famous passage that Esther was a greenish. she had some type of green skin coloring right like a Hadassah, basically um, and she also had was had this touch of grace uh, you know by God that made her appear beautiful uh, to everybody but the idea of what she's called a Hadassah seems to be because she seemed to be green. So many people spend time trying to understand, what is this idea of having a green complexion? I've seen things that maybe it's related to a description uh, in uh, from a Greek word, Greek word of chloris, right? Like chloroform, you know, that we have. Uh, and, uh, you know, the idea that it's like green also. So does that mean, but in Greek, maybe that was more of like a yellow green. So is it some type of olive skin? But this is something that does puzzle people about what exactly uh, does this mean? Uh, that she had a green uh, sort of uh, complexion, actually. Um, and some of our shim even say that maybe the greenish complexion is actually to show that she was suffering or didn't look well because of everything that she had to go through with Ahashver. So I think this is a puzzling um, passage. And then finally, we have ki ein la the aim right? She didn't have a father or mother, right? That she was an orphan. Ube mot right? Lama So then why does it have to continue in that verse and say that they died? She said it didn't, she had a mother or father. "Ibarta of of When Esther's mother basically became pregnant with her, her father died. And when she gave birth to her, the, her, um, her mother died. Um, so, you know, that's why, so I think it's trying to say, it's not that she was an orphan, but it was that her parents died when she was very young. And this is a very, very famous passage also. Right. It's read as when her father and mother died, Mordechai took her as a daughter. Um, and then it says Tanami Tanamishim Rabbi Meir. Right. Rabbi Mayer says, i Levad Ella it. Don't read it as a daughter, but rather read it as his home, meaning that Mordechai actually took her as his wife. Now, people usually read this and are sort of shocked by this. And then the Gemara is going to go on. I'm not going to read this part to give a proof of basically about why you can read Bot as daughter, not by it. I think the reason why Rabbi Mayer is bothered by this is that technically, according to the Torah itself, a relationship between an uncle and a niece is actually not a forbidden relationship. Um, and so I think what they're bothered by here is, is how could he sort of raise her or take her into her house? Because at some point, I think it did become some issues of maybe Yichud or something like that, because they actually could have been married to each other. So I think in Rabbi Mayer's said, he's actually solving sort of a problem uh, that bothers them, because this this probably was something that was somewhat of a common occurrence, uh, you know, in terms of certain marriage arrangements. Today, it sounds crazy to us, um, but, uh, you know, the Torah it's actually allowed.
1: Um, I would say that it's uncommon to us because we live really, our society is really very, very different, right? Meaning, we don't have the same kind of families living on, you know, where a woman needs a man to make sure that she has, I don't know, a place to live and income, you know, all those yeah, things. We also care live of.
0: Much bigger lives. I mean, we don't live in tiny towns with very few people, but I, I but also again, that, that's that's my theory about why Ruby Mayer comes up with us. So now I have a theory. You had a lot of theories yesterday. Like <laughs> my today.
1: Okay. A good one. Um, Okay, I want to move on to the very bottom of Amun Aleph, and we're leaving the Megillah, meaning Esther, for a while. i my diktiv lo yigra mitzadik enav. The Rebbelezer is going to. He's asking, what is this verse? It's a verse from the book of Eoiv that he God will not um, take his eyes from the righteous, meaning you know the idea that they are that he is always they. The righteous people are always before God. So what happens? What does it mean that he, God doesn't take his life from the, from the righteous? Then that means that there's always a reward, right? There's always going to be paying attention to the fact of what one righteous person does, and this seems to be all down through the line of that righteous person. Namely, Rachel demonstrated modesty. So then she merited that Shaul, who is also modest, to the extent, I think, that it became a problem for him, that kind of level of self-abasement. And through the merit of the modesty that was Shaul's, he merited that that Esther would come from him, meaning be a descendant of his. And of course, then to some degree, she functions as a tikkun, as a redemptive um, figure for the errors that Shaul made. So this, first of all, gives us a lineup in an unusual way, right? Because because instead of it being a lineup of the men and their um, genealogy, we've got Rachel to Shaul, I mean, it's skipping many generations here, but Rachel to Shaul, and then Shaul again skipping generations to Esther. And the unifying trait here seems to be modesty, tniut, humility. I don't know, we can define this, you know, tniut becomes such a loaded, a loaded topic in the modern era that it's a little bit harder to define than if what we're talking about here is Specifically, that Rachel demonstrated modesty. What is it that she did? That's of course the the key question that the Gemara is going to ask next. <speaking in Spanish> so we know from the story of Jacob and Rachel and Leah that Jacob told Rachel that he is her father's brother, and he is meaning, and in that same verse in Breshit, Kavtet, that um he was Rebecca's riskus son, and then. Was Jacob, in fact, her father's brother? Meaning he wasn't. He was the son of her father's sister. So that's really not the same thing. It's not the same relationship. So then what's, why is this relevant? Meaning why would he finagle the relationship? Ella He first said, so the Gemara says, well, what really happened is that when Yaakov first met Rachel, he said, Will you marry me? Which is a very sweet and love at first sight kind of comment. Perhaps not so sweet, depending on your take. le, she says to him, In, yes, I will. I'm happy to marry you. Mihu, however, Abba rama'ahu, my father is a trickster. Veloya chalt le, meaning he's he's not going to, he's not going to let her. Or, Veloya yachlat le. sorry. You're not going to be able to, to... Put one over on him, reading, because Lavan was very good at this kind of thing. How is Yaakov going to figure out a way to get Rachel to be able to marry him? Right. So he's Yaakov says, "Don't worry, I also am a trickster." Right. Think about the story of Recha, of of Yaakov and Esav and the brachot and so on the b'chor. I'm also a trickster, meaning we're well matched in this. And she says, but are you really is it really acceptable? If you're a righteous person, can you really be involved in in Rama'ut in deception? Amarla, he says to her, In, yes, ein, excuse me. Navar titaba, titavar tit, titapal. There's a verse from the book of Shmuel that says, if you prove that, or if you demonstrate that you are pure, that you are with the um, group of people who is pure then then when you're dealing with people who are tricky you yourself will end up being you know very um refined and subtle meaning you treat people as they are so that if you're with pure people uh, refined people be refined and if you're with tricky people then be tricky trickster i guess i i don't know these words don't it's not that they don't translate well it's that it's that they were talking about character traits and you know Okay, fine. So then, Amr la Omayr and he says to her, Yaakov says to Rachel, "What is he going to try to trick me with?" Meaning, let it, let me be prepared. Amar le Itli Dikshisha Minai. He says, "I." She says, "I've got a sister who's older than I am." Velo and she, you know, she won't get married. Rachel will not get married before the older sister will get married. Masar la Simanim. So Yaakov gave her certain simanim, certain signs, right? These hints or whatever that she should be able to demonstrate to him that she was Rachel and not the sister. He hasn't met the sister yet, according to this way of interpretation, right? Oh, I'm sorry. Not that she won't marry before Leah, but that Lavan, her father, won't allow her to marry off before before the older sister is done. Meaning the implication is, and she doesn't spell it out fully here, that he's going to trick Yaakov with the older sister. So that's why Yaakov then gives these simanim, these very famous simanim, that she should be able to prove that she is Rachel and not the sister. Himat Lilia, when it came to be that night, Amra, so she says to herself, My sister's going to be embarrassed. So then she gives, Rachel gives, the sister, whom we know to be Leah, the signs, right, so that she'll be able to demonstrate to, to Yaakov that she knows the signs. Hello, it's, it's as if she's Rachel, except for she's really not. And then that's why the verse says, you know, lo and behold, it came to be the morning, and it was Leah. Meaning, until that point, he did not know. How could he not know? Didn't? Wouldn't she not have known the signs? And the answer is. Yes, but she knew the signs. She was Leah all night. So, what happens? Rachel gives Leah the sign so that Yaakov will know that it's Rachel, even though it's not Rachel, for the sake of not embarrassing Leah. In the morning, lo and behold, Yaakov sees that it's Leah says, hello, it's Leah. How could that possibly be? Because he had the signs from the night that he had given Rachel to begin with. And all of this is Rachel being very self-effacing, right? She's taking herself out of the equation to make sure that her sister is not embarrassed. So the Gemara says, and here now after all of this long story, because of this, she had merit Via Sami and Sha'ul. And Sha'ul comes from her. Now the question is what was the what was the modesty from Sha'ul? This a little bit Shorter of a piece, What was it that he was so modest about? So when Shmuel talked to him about the kingdom, right, um, he didn't he didn't go around telling everybody that Shmuel had promised him that he would be king, right? That's that's a pretty big deal, right? Considering that that's you know. It's a it's a big shift in position, but it's also the kind of thing that you might even think that the people would need to hear. It would give them confidence. It would give I don't know. There there's a lot of ways he could have justified it, and he didn't. He kept quiet about it, and because of that, Zachaviat Sami Menu Esther, and because of that, Esther, whom we know to be modest for all kinds of reasons, would descend from him from him. Meaning that's that's the lineage from Rachel to Shaul to Esther in the expanded form. So
0: I think part of the reason why the Gemara spends time with this is it's to contrast sort of the traits of Esther versus the traits of Vashti. And that just as we spent so much time on yesterday talking about sort of how lewd, you know, and immoral Vashti was, here we have this character trait of Tsunyut that Esther has, um, you know, that's, you know, supposed to be very, very different than how other people were behaving in that kingdom. But I also think it's interesting the same way that we sort of tried to link previously on yesterday's death, that this whole episode was sort of a punishment for something that the Jews had done, you know, also trying to link like Esther to, you know, people before her to Shaul. And I think, again, this is because, the, the story itself is problematic. God doesn't appear. It's a story that takes place in the diaspora. And so making all of these little connections are ways for sort of Chazal to solidify the place of Esther in the canon itself.
1: I would say one step further, I think about Esther's modesty. Like, why is that essential to the story? Remember, she's chosen through a beauty contest, right, which is quite literally parading the girls. And that is how it is described, parading these young women before the king and everybody else to gawk at. And this happens, this kind of parade happens fairly, you know, several times anyway. It's not just a, a one-off. And I feel like if you can emerge from that unscathed and remain your same self, you know, that's a big deal. And I think that the way we know that Esther was, of course she was going to, right? Well, it's because she came into the, city, the setting you know, with snute, with modesty to begin with, she wasn't there to be showing off. She was there to be modest. And and so Midrashim also say this is part of what actually got her chosen, right? Because she wasn't there with showing off all her range of identities and how anything she could be. Instead, she's showing how how she's not um, on display, which is a very marked contrast, as you said, to Vashti.
0: Well, that's our DAF discussion for the day. Rankest reviews on all major podcasts. Thank you for having me, Michelle Farber, for hosting us on the Hydra website. Let us know what you thought about this staff on our Talking Talent Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.